Hi, I'm Nicole Ferraro, and this is The Divide, a podcast from Light Reading exploring the ongoing digital divide, why and where it still exists, and what needs to be done to get people everywhere connected to reliable, high-speed internet. Today, I am joined by Jonathan Spalter, CEO of the Trade Association U.S. Telecom. We discuss the Biden administration's goal of universal broadband connectivity and how the telecommunications industry is working to meet it through a mix of public and private funding, including the forthcoming $42.5 billion bead program. We also discuss the need for Congress to secure the future of the Affordable Connectivity Fund, what a waiver on Buy America rules for bead should look like, and much more. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here, Nicole. Thank you. It's my pleasure. It's a real pleasure to get to meet you. Um, anyone who's reading Light Reading or listening to this podcast is certainly familiar with U.S. Telecom, but why don't you just give me a brief update on uh, U.S. Telecom and your membership? Well, thank you so much, Nicole. I really appreciate your giving us a platform to do so. U.S. Telecom members, are we run from the large publicly traded global corporations, some of the largest investors, job creators, innovators in the country, right down to local and regional heartland companies and cooperatives across the United States that have roots in their communities that literally go back, you know, a century or more. Um we all are aligned around a very specific mission, which is connecting communities to the power and potential of broadband and all of the opportunities that it brings. Um, and we're all really focused on making sure that we can extend broadband infrastructure to literally everyone in our society, um, especially as our broadband networks themselves continue to advance and evolve. Um, we, we are the companies that are building much stronger and more resilient networks. We do so using a variety of different technologies to bring gigabit speeds to communities across the country. And we do so, you know, with literally a workforce that we represent of uh, over a couple hundred thousand uh, Americans um, who are working towards closing the digital divide. We serve literally hundreds of millions of customers. Um, we're investing uh, close to $86, 87000000000 billion in 2021 alone to connect the nation. Um, and we are overwhelmingly focused, uh, some of the, the, the only ones out there who are actually connecting rural America. I can't tell you how proud I am to represent this um, alignment of companies that have been, will be, and are deeply committed to the business of closing a digital divide in our nation. Yeah, I mean, you are certainly right in the thick of it in this very exciting moment where there's a lot of focus on uh, universal connectivity, on getting broadband everywhere that is needed. Um, and, you know, I, President Biden has a goal of uh, connecting 100% of, of this nation. And um, we'll talk a little bit more about the actual federal programs that are going to be coming down uh, with grants. But I'd love to get your perspective, um, as I said, since you are right in the thick of it on this moment we're in if you're optimistic about our ability to achieve 100% connectivity and what makes this moment maybe different than efforts uh, in the past to get there. I am both both optimistic but positive that universal connectivity is within our reach. Uh, we have to uh, make clear that there 
is a pathway to ensuring that everyone, no matter where, no matter what, can get access to broadband. Um, but we also have to be uh, straight thinking about it. It's going to take a full team effort, private industry and government, um, working together to achieve this goal. Um, I had mentioned that every year, uh, broadband providers invest billions of dollars in our nation's connected infrastructure with capital investments that are running at about $86 billion annually. Mm -hmm. um, and as you mentioned, there are a uh, there is a really powerful and promising pipeline of government resources that are going to become and are being made available through such things as the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. We walk out and call it the IIJA here in Washington um, and other programs where we, I think, collectively have the ability to, um, in a compelling way, make sure that we can fully and forever connect the nation uh, to the um, technologies that broadband have uh, un unleashed. And that is our goal, and we're going to stick to it. Um, the $65 billion in broadband commitments that the government has been uh, pledged to provide, these are pretty historic. Um, and I think it's you know going to be in the history books for uh, several reasons. Um, they they add up if you look at these commitments to the single largest digital equity initiative that's ever been undertaken in the country. It's from the forty two and a half billion dollars in bead funding, which is targeting deployment to both unserved and underserved homes and businesses across the country. The affordable connectivity program um, that to date is connecting almost eighteen million low income households to free or at least very low cost service, uh, resources that are being uh, directed to digital skills training, which are incredibly important, um, device access, uh, and a, a range of related initiatives. Um, altogether, you know, these really do present a very bold and holistic, but I think very practical approach to what it takes to achieve true um, universal connectivity in America. Um, and we are, you know, at, at the um, starting gate for unleashing these resources. Uh, we're expecting that by June 30th, we're going to be making the first allocations of the bead dollars to uh, begin to trickle through each of these states and territories. Um, it's landmark legislation that is multidimensional in its focus deployment, adoption, digital equity support. Um, these are the goals of the legislation that's in front of us. And we're working uh, shoulder to shoulder with our colleagues in Congress and the administration to make sure that as we move into this critical implementation phase, we're going to be able to do so with efficiency and sandpapering the rough edges of any such monumental program uh, that typically is faced when you're trying to get resources out to literally tens of millions of Americans. Yeah. So what are some of those rough edges for you guys right now? What are you, what are you working through with Congress and for, with the NTIA, I guess, probably more? Sure. Or... Well, there's a couple of uh, issues that we're 
um, working with our colleagues in government to make sure that we can do some problem solving so that the dollars, when they actually are made available, can get to Americans as seamlessly um, and as efficiently as possible. One of the problems is that um, the bead dollars have been subjected to in the legis in the legislation to um, a tax provision, which essentially treats every single dollar that's going out to support um, broadband deployment to those who are most in need as operating income, which means that uh, grant recipients are going to have to return uh, about 20% of the grants that they receive in the form of taxes right back to the general fund of the Treasury Department. That doesn't seem to make sense when one in five dollars that are meant to be going to actually connect Americans are simply being clawed back by government. Um, we think that there's a better way of handling these dollars. They're precious dollars. And we've been working with Congress to move to eliminate this tax. Um, as we uh, in the broadband community plan and prepare to allocate resources to connect as many Americans as possible. Good news is that we've gotten some traction in okay. Congress. And there are uh, some bills that are calling for the elimination of this tax. Yeah. There's another area where we're trying to uh, uh, forge a path forward with government. One of the other aspects of the BEAD program is that it, it, all of the dollars that are going to be um, and, and initiatives that are going to be uh, supported by these dollars are subjected to what are called Buy America requirements. And these are intentionally very good uh, goals that we support, which is the idea that the dollars that are going to be used to uh, fund our new infrastructure renaissance in our country um, should be dollars that are supporting American companies and American suppliers. That's an important principle. The problem, though, is that um, the... Uh, given the urgency of closing the digital divide, there is a fierce urgency to doing that. We can't afford to wait for manufacturing to onshore before we start the critical work of deploying these networks. And the very clear fact is, is that um, we don't yet have a sufficient density of American companies in the supply chain that will allow us to um, fulfilled by America requirements that are imposed by the legislation, which is why we need waivers from the U.S. government to ensure that we can actually move quickly and urgently to get uh, the, the goals and the missions of President Biden's uh, great call to close the digital divide uh, achieved. Mm -hmm. um, what we're calling for are waivers that will allow us to um, move forward in uh, deploying these networks while in a parallel uh, uh, fashion doing what it takes to begin to build advanced manufacturing capacity here in the United States. Mm -hmm. We can do both, but we shouldn't be blocked from getting these networks deployed because of a Buy American provision that simply cannot be met given the way that the American supply chain um, uh, exists today. Yeah. There are lots of components that go into a network. Um, most of them are in the electronics, and none of those components are actually manufactured here in the United States. Uh, 
There are some components that are manufactured here in the United States, and we are bullish on using those components. Uh, and we hope eventually, as more and more manufacturing is onshore to the United States, that we can also avail ourselves of access to those U.S.-made products. But right now, um, the math doesn't add up, and we're asking government to give us waivers to allow us to achieve our connectivity goals while we work with them to you know, do more to uh, create a, a renaissance for American manufacturing so that we eventually can buy America. Today, we can't. Yeah. So the NTIA recently uh, finalized a waiver for Buy America on the Middle Mile program. Uh, were you satisfied with that? Um, and based on that, are you confident that the waiver will be satisfactory for Bede? Yeah. NTIA did great work on the Middle Mile waiver. The waiver itself recognizes that the equipment that's needed to light up our network, which I mentioned really are the electronics, are not manufactured here in the United States. And the um, it's going to take some time, many years, to onshore that capacity. Um, so we hope that the instincts that went into shaping the middle mile waiver program can allow us to... Um, take the, the best aspects of that program and apply it to the actual bead program more generally. And we think that um, if we do that, we're going to be able to um, move forward in achieving universal connectivity with the benefit of the bead program. Um, and all we're asking is that the waivers that were offered in the middle mile waiver program be the basis for extending the waivers to the the broader sweep of of initiatives and grants that are going to be going out through the BEAD program. Gotcha. And just to come back to you on the Broadband Grant Tax Treatment Act, I know that legislation was also introduced by the last Congress, um, and it's mm -hmm. been reintroduced. Are you feeling confident on uh, that legislation passing? It is utterly vital that Congress move to eliminate this tax. Mm -hmm. um, we think that uh, smarter heads will prevail. Um, it it is a a appendage that was included in this, in the statutory language of the bill. I think uh, it was an unintended consequence of having to move so quickly to amass this huge trillion dollar infrastructure act. Yeah. Um, that unfortunately had some, I'll, I'll call them policy typos. And this is one of them. Um, and I'm confident that Congress will have the wisdom, but also the courage to make sure that this tax is eliminated so that all of these dollars, not just 80% of these dollars, can go to where they're needed most, which is getting broadband uh, extended to every household, every business in America. Fair enough. Um, I will keep watching that as well. Um, so I want to also talk to you about broadband affordability, which you mentioned as one of the issues we're trying to solve. You mentioned the Affordable Connectivity Program, um, mm -hmm. which, as you said, is currently providing a broadband subsidy of about $30 a month to uh, qualifying low-income households. About 18 million households have signed mm -hmm. up. Um, I think the program is technically eligible. There's technically about 40 million households that would be eligible, depending on, you know, what statistics you're looking at. Right. Um, and the FCC 
is uh, currently distributing grants so that we can up enrollment in this program, while at the same time, this program is projected to run out of funding sometime next year, and there appears to be no contingency plan in place to deal with this. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's your perspective on the status of this program? Um, what's your message to lawmakers right now on sure. uh, the continuation of the ACP? The Affordable Connectivity Program is a game changer. You know, in order to be able to achieve universal connectivity and closing the digital divide, we have to deal with affordability. And this program has been, you know, at the bleeding edge of making sure that those uh, households, those Americans in need, can actually gain access through this important $14.2 billion subsidy to the kind of low cost or no cost access to broadband that's required to get into the digital century, um, which is why funding for the program is extremely important. And our message has been loud and clear that Congress needs to step up now to uh, reaffirm its commitment to connecting low-income households and also to do the, I think, logical, practical, and common sense step of prioritizing additional funding for the nearly 18 million households, as you mentioned, who are currently enrolled in the ACP. Bottom line is that the Congress cannot and must not abandon the commitment they've made to the millions of Americans who have come on, who have come to rely on the ACP program um, as their gateway to uh, digital connectivity. Just can't do it. I agree with you. I think a lot of people agree with you, but uh, from there, I see no movement whatsoever. I see no bill being introduced. um, And obviously we're facing a bit of a crisis at the moment with the budget and debt ceiling. Um, So I, 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 what do we do? I mean, what is, what is your organization doing? And is there another avenue beyond Congress if they cannot get it together and fund this program? Let's, let's not, uh, Let's not throw in the towel yet. I think okay. Sorry, I tend to, to catastrophize. <laughs> well, but it, it would be, uh, you know, have catastrophic yeah. impact for many, many millions of uh, uh, American households if the funding that's been made available um, through ACP were to go away. And this is even in the environment that we're in now, as we've uh, evaluated and analyzed Uh, that shows that broadband prices are more affordable than ever. Mm -hmm. Um, We do annually a broadband pricing index that shows this downward trend. But even though there there is a a positive slope towards lower prices in broadband, there still are, as we know, um, millions of American households in need of affordability uh, subsidies. And that's where ACP comes in. Um, We are pushing really hard for the funding of this program to be renewed. We're hoping that it will be. Um, We're actively knocking on doors in Congress, talking about uh, the the opportunities that could be available to ensure, you know, for our broader economy and for um, the promise of innovation in our country by making sure that those who have been have been given access to broadband through this program will continue to be able to do so. Yes, it's a, we still have a long way ahead of us to make this promise of ACP a more resilient and permanent reality, but we can't give up the fight. 
Fair enough. Okay. And for providers, though, especially providers looking to participate in BEAD, there is a stipulation that they have to offer a low-income program of some sort, which we've been expecting would be the ACP. Um, do you think, I know I'm not supposed to say that if the ACP goes away, but if the ACP were to go away, would that impact providers participating in the BEAD program? Um, it, it could uh impact the participation in this program. I'm not exactly sure whether ACP is uh, participation in ACP is a prerequisite uh, absolutely for participation in the BEAD program. Um, but uh, nevertheless, um, in absence of this low, uh, low income affordability program like ACP, if that were to go away, it could potentially um, make it uh, challenging for uh, providers to participate in the BEAT program. Fair enough. Yeah. And I don't think they require the ACP specifically, but some sort of low income offering, right. um, exactly. which, you know, with the availability of the ACP, that makes it much easier for providers, especially mm -hmm. smaller providers to be able to do. Um, and I guess the last question I would ask you about um, broadband affordability and the future of the ACP is uh, the Universal Service Fund is also sort of going through some growing pains, yes. has seen itself before court a couple of times already this year, um, mm -hmm. and had a bit of a contentious hearing in the Senate last week. Um, I wonder, do you think the future of the ACP is under the Universal Service Fund? And um, what reforms would you guys like to see uh, for the Universal Service Fund to keep that and um, the lifeline or I guess a replaced program, ACP lifeline program alive in the future? Uh, well, I think that's a very, very good and timely question. Like the ACP, universal service funding is going to be absolutely critical uh, because broadband networks in the highest cost, hardest to reach parts of our country are going to need continued funding for their operational expenses. As we know, by basic economics, that they simply cannot uh, fully sustain themselves without support in the remote high cost areas that universal service funding is meant to be able to serve. Um, the bottom line here is that the current contributions mechanism that uh, fuel universal service with the funds that it needs is not a sustainable um, a framework, uh, which is why we believe that the time has come for the dominant edge platform providers to responsibly, accountably, and fairly uh, be brought in to participate alongside the diminishing world of voice providers who currently are the sole contributors to the universal service funding uh, uh, mechanisms in this country, that they be brought in. Um, and we believe that if they are, if contributions are expanded to include the dominant edge providers as well, um, that ACP should be able to be funded through USF um, or the Universal Service Funding Mechanism. Um, we have a pathway to an endure, enduring solution for low-income um, support in our country, and that is by asking uh, alongside the voice providers that have been contributing to Universal Service Fund that those edge platform providers, the dominant ones, and there's just a handful of them, that have so benefited through these investments, stand up and be uh, 
be counted alongside those of us who already are contributing to this universal service fund. Mm -hmm. And if we do that, I think we have a very auspicious future ahead for the future of um, ending the digital divide in this nation. Okay, awesome. Um, well, I want to let you go, but I'll give you one opportunity to offer any last words about any hurdles on the horizon or anything you're particularly excited about in the post-bead world uh, as, as, as it pertains to maintaining universal connectivity and sustaining these new networks. You know, it, we are finally talking as a nation about the idea that we finally and fully can close the digital divide in our country. And I'm looking forward to the next conversations that we can have when we look ahead to the next decade, uh, when we've uh, when we've entered the post-universal connectivity uh, part of our, our our national life, what is broadband going to look like when everybody is being able to be when when everybody is connected to uh, broadband access? What are going to be the economic, uh, social, um, and civil benefits that we're going to be able to uh, uh, realize? through that universal connectivity? What are going to be the um, opportunities that digital equity ultimately will provide when we are uh, being able to get through the goal line of universal connectivity? Every bit of our work now is trying to get us to that uh, new phase of a post-universal connectivity digital America. And I'm so looking forward to that day when it comes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your work and thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed getting the opportunity to speak with you. Thank you so much, Nicole. It was really my pleasure to be here with you. Thank you again, Jonathan, for joining me. Thank you as well to our producer, Pierre Landreau, for making this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the Light Reading Podcast for more episodes of The Divide, as well as interviews and insights from the Light Reading team. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.